This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm Jonathan Agnew and welcome to the Test Match Special Podcast. We'll reflect on a frustrating day for England and Jimmy Anderson in a moment who's stranded on 599 wickets. We'll hear from Mark Ramprakash and the England coach Chris Silverwood and ahead of the final day of the series, we'll discuss who's been England's Player of the Summer. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. We'll begin our review of the day such as it was. It was a truncated day again in which, frankly, they didn't really move on very far either, even when there was play. But the close of play of the fourth day of the final test between England and Pakistan at the AGS Bowl sees Pakistan close on 100 for two. Bad light stop play. They're 210 runs behind. Azrali, the captain, is there on 29 not out. And Baba Razam on four not out. Pakistan, of course, began their second innings today, the very start of it. And there was that question about whether Azhar Ali, who walked out last night to open the innings, would open again. But uh, as we discovered, uh, those of us like me who didn't know the law, I'm sorry, I put my hand up for that. I always thought that the batsman's innings started when he walked onto the field. Well, it does, apart from the opening batsman. And their inning starts when the umpire calls play. So he took the option that was available to him not to open and so the regular two did so, Shah Massoud and Abid Ali. And once again, there's a drop catch off Jimmy Anderson. And this time it was Joss Butler, and it was not a difficult catch at all. And he didn't get a glove on it, in fact. It was a straightforward nick behind when Massoud had three. Down it went. And I think Jimmy is so phlegmatic about the situation now that he, he, he just shrugged his shoulders and moved on. Massoud eventually was LBW to broad, playing no stroke for 18 that was 49 for one and then uh, Jimmy Anderson did take his 599th wicket when he had Abid Ali LBW for 42 but they couldn't break through again the bad light came down Joe Root had to take him off and so we simply hope and he'll be hoping that there's going to be play tomorrow but there's, there's Storm Francis on its way and this I think is the forerunner of that all this low cloud at the moment and it, it's a serious possibility looking at the forecast that uh, there could be no play tomorrow. And if there is, it's going to be seriously shortened. It's really shortened because of the, because of the weather. So Mark Rambrakash is, uh, is alongside me, looking thoughtful. It's funny how even in the sort of really quiet stages of a test match in which nothing seems to be going on, there's usually a subplot. And that, that was a, a fascinating one. And it, it's a subplot that, that could almost turn into a tragedy. Yes, I mean, from Jimmy's point of view, absolutely. I mean, he, he bowled well this morning, but, uh, you know, not easy for a 38-year-old to come back mm. after a day's bowling. And he didn't quite have the same zip on and around off stump. He didn't quite get the same lateral movement. Um, and then he bent his back and bowled a couple of short balls into the body of Abidali. So just to remind everyone that he can get the ball through. And, uh, but he didn't really have luck. And what he did show was his versatility, why I think he's... Well, partly why he's been such a fantastic performer for England is that when he came back at the far end of the pavilion end uh, with the older ball, trying to look for a bit of reverse swing into the right-hander, he had drive men on the offside, two short mid-wicket guys just there for the clip uh, in the air, 
and he bowls that very effectively and he has done that in the past in UAE and mm. Sri Lanka and places where the wickets have been flat and not, not much happening so I, I think that and, and of course that paid off with the wicket of Abed Ali so you know his adaptability I mean he's always had amazing longevity to his career um, but normally the best players I, I also think they play for so long and they are successful because they can adapt yeah yeah but it's I mean, people were shouting for goodness sake he's got 599 600 doesn't matter yes but it does matter because it's cricket and cricket's all about numbers and, and listen, look at our friend over there I mean, his, his <laughs> life revolves around cricket numbers and I don't think I don't think Andy Zoltzman could, could sleep if there's if there's, if there's Jimmy Anderson's just be dangling on 599 it isn't tidy is it no it's be, be awful what, <laughs> what if the world was hit by an asteroid and he was left there for all time exactly I mean it is that it is of that significance so it does matter uh, the cover's coming on and now the umbrellas are going up so clearly um, that, that, that will be it they won't get uh, out there and, and, and play anymore and then it's just a question of, of crossing fingers and of course how, how the teammates will fit all those that drop the catches it just adds to this adds to the drama yeah, and, and I think, you know, with tomorrow, obviously it's in the balance whether we'll get out. The, the outfield is already very, very wet. There are areas in the footmarks where the bowlers have been running in, they've got sawdust on. If there is a large volume of water that drops during the night and early morning, <clears throat> you know, it could well be that this game, there is no further play. And then, of course, you know, we are in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. You know, will England tour? Will Jimmy Anderson be asked to play? I mean, there's you know a lot of conversations about well, what's the point of using Jimmy Anderson on flat, unresponsive wickets, perhaps in UAE or in Colombo in Sri Lanka? I mean, it's um, you know. Can, can I, I'll throw something then, mm. which might be completely stupid. It probably is at this time of the day. But do you think that the selectors are just hoping he gets this wicket, <laughs> and then it, it tidies that up, and then mm. they can then select him if they want to with a totally blank sheet of paper and clear heads and no pressure whatsoever to, to have to pick him to get this one wicket is, is, that, is this one wicket that influential do you think I think it is um, the reason I say that is because I think England will they, they talked about England management and selectors talked about a vision of trying to transition away from this over-reliance quite frankly on Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad now Look, Jimmy, in his last four years, his average has been going down. He's been getting better and better. But the fact is, father time waits for nobody. If he can get this 600th wicket, who knows when England's next test match will be. Hopefully they'll get cricket in this, in this winter, but it may be next summer. And then, you know, you, 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 uh, you really start to ask yourself, you know, how are we going to manage Jimmy Anderson's... Uh, you know, move away from the game. Basically, retirement. Yes. It's, it's got to happen sooner or later. I would hate it, hate it to be unsatisfactory for someone who's been such a great servant. Yes. You know, there needs to be a managing of that situation. I know that he's put the ball back in the selector's, uh, you know, court, if you like. But, you know, it, you just can't go on forever. And I think um, the selectors will be very happy if he can get that last wicket tomorrow. Yes. It's crazy. I mean, sport is all romanticised things like this, but it, yeah. it, it, it is just part of it, isn't it? It, it is just so much an integral part of, of all sport, in fact. Yes. But it seems particularly cricket. Yes. I mean, we've seen recently MS Dhoni, of course, he went out, um, you know, it, 
in complete contrast to Sachin Tendulkar, who, who almost had a test series arranged for him. Yes, he did. Exactly. <laughs> which is quite something. Yes. Um, and then MS going out with, you know, in, uh, sort of under the radar, typical him. Um, but, I, you know, J- Alistair Cook, I witnessed his ending, uh, you know, ending mm. his international career in a wonderful style at the Oval. Um, and I, w- I would love to see that for Jimmy Anderson. I think he's earned it. I yes. think we owe it to him. I'd, I, I just hope it's it works out in the right way. But you know, international sport is just sometimes it doesn't. But it, if we can, if the selectors can help manage that for him, yes. I would love to see that. It's almost like the Bradman scenario at the Oval, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> they just couldn't yeah. quite get to the under. But anyway, we, we, who, who knows what's going to happen here or in the in the future? Well, I can tell you that now it's raining, and so the covers are coming on. There will be no no more play today. Let's keep up fingers crossed about what we might get uh, tomorrow just some thoughts about today then Mark I mean isn't it been a feature also this summer that after 20 30 overs not every time but a lot of these pitches and balls that seem to have gone lifeless yes yes absolutely I think the the reason for that is certainly Old Trafford and and this one they've been pretty dry actually Mm. you know when you've gone out there at the start of the game uh, the Old Trafford um, match um, and and this one, so the first and third Test matches against Pakistan, when the captains walked out, they wouldn't have been deliberating too much. They were very straightforward decisions of bat first. The surfaces were dry, white, and you knew that they would have that natural wear and tear and the spinners would come into the game as the game wore on. Um, not so the second Test match here, uh, which that, that had good pace and balance. Yes. But I, I think... I think watching the game today, you know, again, there's a little bit of an illustration of how difficult England find it to penetrate on these types of surfaces. Mm. And, you know, they attacked the top of off brilliantly in the first innings and had Pakistan 30 for four. But then they found it very, very difficult, didn't they? Yes. To When the ball went softer, um, to, to, to try and make things happen. Of course, Dominic Bess is getting matches under his belt, more experience. I thought he was very tidy today. They're trying to get him to be more confident, to perhaps throw it a little bit wider of off stump. But to do that, he needs to be accurate. Um, so, But, you know, England have invested in him. But he's, he's not going to just rock up and suddenly take five for on a pretty, still a pretty good batting pitch. Yeah. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Thanks, Mark Rampakash. Let's hear from the England camp. And the coach, Chris Silverwood, has been speaking to Daniel Norcross. Uh, we saw how hard it was to take wickets today. That pitch had sort of deadened up, hadn't it? It has. Um, I mean, it shows the importance of you know, making use of that new ball as well. Uh, once the ball goes a bit softer, um, it's sort of, the wicket has lost its zip a little bit. It, as you quite rightly said, it becomes harder to take those wickets or create those chances. But I can't fault the effort or the attitude of the players out there. I mean, they've kept running in, uh, you know, we've kept working hard and you know, we're trying to create those chances. Well, we saw some very specific plans as well, the bouncer barrage, if you like, from Joffre Archer and Stuart Broad. That's something that you'd plan to do or is it just something that happens organically when you're looking around on a day like today? Well, you, you have various plans. Obviously, you have plan A, plan B, and then sometimes a plan C, really. Uh, you know what I mean? If we know if we're going to go that way, these are the fields we're going to have. You know, we know who's going to try and implement those plans as well. Um, but the one thing you have to do is, if you're going to do it, you've got to commit 100% to it. Uh, word on Dominic Best, because he's not had a lot of time with the ball for various circumstances yeah. in the last couple of games. So it was clear once you decided you were going to take the follow-on strategy, he was going to have to do a lot of work, and he did do a lot today. How did you feel he bowled? I thought he bowled well. I thought he settled into a good rhythm. 
Uh, you know what I mean? He, he got the ball in good areas again, and the odd one turned sort of just clipping the edge of the footholds there. Uh, but I think, I mean, from an overall perspective, to get him in the game and for him to bowl a long, period, I mean, a long spell and sort of get into that rhythm, I think it'll do him a world of good. If there's been one blot, I suppose, on the landscape, it's been the catching a little bit in in moments. Don Best talked about it yesterday and said the light was really poor and was was troublesome. Um, there was another went down today. Is it also perhaps a difficult ground to see on, or, or is it just one of those things that happened? I think it was difficult last night because it was gloomy. When the guys came off, it was like, wow, you know what I mean? So it, it wouldn't have been a good time to bat, and equally to field bear as well. I mean, it's not an excuse. Uh, you know, I mean, nobody means to drop the catches, but but one thing I can say is the boys do work really hard on their fielding. They work really hard on the catching. You've probably seen us out there every morning. Every morning they do the slip fielding. Uh, so it's not through lack of effort, really. All we've got to do is keep working hard and keep looking to improve. A word on Jimmy Anderson as well. Um, 599, he's tantalisingly close. We don't know what's going to pan out in this winter. We don't know what future, short-term future of Test cricket is. Uh, how important is it that you get back out there tomorrow, get him to that milestone and plough on for the win? Well, I think it's, I mean, weather permitting, we get out there and we continue as we have been, really. Um, and I think Jimmy will get that 600 wicket. And I think it'd be a great occasion to be on 600 test wickets. I mean, wow. I mean, it's, you know, I was thinking back earlier to when obviously Brody got his 500. You think just that is a lot of test wickets, but 600, I mean, yeah, wow. Um, how much do you think the World Test Championship, the existence of that, um, makes, it, makes it feel all the more important to get back out? You know, in other times you'd be 1 0 up in a three match series, last day of a summer, stuck in a bubble. Might not have been quite the same incentive <laughs> to get back out, might there? No, well, I think we want to win. It's as simple as that. Uh, I mean, there are points up for grabs. And equally, we want to finish as we've, we've gone on. You know, I mean, I'm very proud of how the guys have handled themselves. I mean, being locked up for nearly, what, 10 weeks now? Uh, and the way they've applied themselves in every game, the way they've practiced, the way they've worked hard, the way they've turned up every morning with a great attitude to go out there and play good cricket. So it'd be nice to come out tomorrow and finish strong just as we've been going. The TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Well, due to the heavy rain earlier, we took the chance to discuss who's been England's player of the summer. And joining me for the debate were Michael Vaughan, Ebony Rainford-Brent, Andy Zaltzman and BBC Sports' Stefan Schemmelt. Where are we going to start with all of this? Let's start with... Because they've all got a bit of a backstory, haven't they? These players are quite interesting about it. And I think the first one from the story point of view would be Stuart Broad who the first match here, of course, was left out. It was be, this was England's best bowling attack, and Stuart didn't think that it was, and he got very angry about it, and um, then showed very graphically why, of course, he belongs very much in, uh, in the England's best bowling attack group, because his figures are, frankly, astonishing. Um, Andy, you might as well go through them and, and just remind us of what sort of a summer... Stuart Broad has had despite missing that first test match. Uh, he's played uh, well, the five since then, taking 28 wickets at uh, an average of 13.4, strike rate of a wicket every 31 balls. Um, had a, a 10 wicket match against West Indies uh, in, in Manchester, took uh, three wickets at least in each of the first seven innings that he bowled this summer and took uh, two uh, yesterday uh, to break that sequence of consecutive three-wicket innings. Only the um, seventh England bowler to have seven consecutive three-wicket innings. If he'd taken one more yesterday, he'd have been the first with eight consecutive three-wicket innings since Morris Tate in the 1920s. So he's been um, incredibly consistent um, as well as uh, penetrative. And in terms of best summers, 
by England bowlers. Uh, his uh, average of 13.4 is the sec- currently, we might go off a little bit tomorrow, but it's currently the second best uh, average in a home summer by uh, an England bowler who's taken at least 20 wickets in the last 50 years. And, and Dominic Cork with 20 wickets at 12 in the year 2000 uh, has a better average uh, mm. in that time. And let's not forget his batting either because he's, he's, he's contributed pretty well there too, is he? And that, uh, that Old Trafford test match against West Indies, uh, for instance. Uh, yes, a rapid 62, yeah. so 124 runs in the summer, strike rate of 111. And we'd seen a long-term decline uh, in his batting. He, uh, he had a, a good knock in South Africa as well, and maybe the time off uh, caused by the, the virus enabled him to, to work at his game. But he's, uh, it's the, the best he's batted for probably seven years. Yeah. So, Ebony, let's mm. start with you. That, it, it, it looks absurd now, that decision, doesn't it? <laughs> I know, you know, selectors are there to be shot at. Yeah, um, but and it's a difficult job. And, you know, but it just seemed like a bad decision at the time, didn't it? Well, there was that, but I also, in some ways, it's a good decision. So I'm, I'm going back to Melbourne a few years back where he was under a little bit of pressure. Um, the critics are up. And I think he's one of those players that sometimes responded. I remember watching him during the Ashes, and it was one of those tests where England needed to bounce back and he came out with fire and I just wonder if it lit a fire in him not only has he sat there for the last few months around Covid and then got into this bubble or whatever to be left out Mm. after that I think would have stung him and um, you know in some ways maybe that ignited it you know he was so frustrated he said what he had to say it maybe refocused him in his mind about what he wanted to to achieve. You know, I, I can understand the thinking of why he was left out. I can understand England looking forward with pace and those sort of um, questions. But what he's done is completely changed the narrative. And he, he's done it in a few ways. I think he separated himself from Jimmy Anderson. Quite clearly, he wanted people to know, by the way, you know, there's an age gap and Jimmy has added extra so many wickets in this time. I think it was over 100 and odd. So give him time and, you know, he could surpass mm. him. Um, I think that was a strong point. I think that, you know, the fact that he's talking about, you know, I've changed my game, I'm adapting and I'm bowling fuller and straighter and taking the pads. You know, what he did is he he, he kind of spoke into existence what, what he believes his next phase is and he's gone out and delivered. So you've got to give him so much credit. Um, you know, we're, we're on the verge of celebrating Jimmy Anderson, but give Stuart Brawl the, the, the time that we're seeing with... Uh, Jimmy, you know, you never know. He's, no. he's now showing that he's got that that next phase of his game available. Michael, it, make, it makes you wonder, does it, why they why they made the statement? I mean, if they, if, 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 well, and, except they obviously believed that was the case, that that was the their best attack. But do you think they actually needed to do that because it's pretty personal? And I mean, and and with all the figures and the stats of the year leading up to it, and what he's done since then, it's obviously quite, quite ridiculous. Oh, I think we. I think we're making too much of that first test. It was the batting that let England down. Yes. You know, they'd have won the test match. I don't think we'd have been having this conversation if the batters had arrived and played well. If Josh Butler had taken that catch down the leg side to Jermaine Blackwood, they'd have won the game. Um, you know, Broad has been outstanding since coming back into the team. And he's always been that character that if you prod him and you poke him, he'll respond. And that's uh, a great trait to have as an international sports person that... You know, every now and again, he is that kind of character that he, he does need a prod and he does need a poke. And what does he do? He comes and responds. So you could argue that it was a masterstroke by Ed Smith and the selectors. That who's, who's to say that if he'd have played in that first test and, and been selected, that we might not have seen his performance had been such of a high standard over the course of the last five test matches. And it's the five test matches that we should be focusing on, not, mm. not talking about the game that he, he actually was dropped. 
because what he's delivered has been pace, skill, uh, great control, um, a great mindset. You know, great mindset. You can see him in the headband. He, he gets it on. You can just see it at, at the end of his run-up. His legs are running in nicely. He's, he's got that bounce in his run-up, and he's got that, that energy. You know, there's been many times, and understandably when you play for su- such a long period of time, as is the same with Jimmy Anderson, that you, you see them so much that you can see traits and you look and go, not quite right. Oh, yeah. It's very obvious, and... You know, over the course of these five games, it's been very obvious that Stuart Broad is exactly right, as he was last summer, uh, as he was in the winter. Yes, he's got every gripe and every uh, ounce of um, kind of anger to, to go and give that interview, um, like he gave in that first Test match, and it worked brilliant for well, him. He, he said he, he really thought about his future, like giving up. He was so he was so yeah, but upset again, about it. But I think he took it very very personally. Of course he did, but yeah. I guess. But you know Stuart as well as I do, and you know he's, he's going to be very good in the media because he's going to say things. You know he's got a column on a Sunday. Of course he needs to say something. Hmm. You're not telling me that Stuart Board was considering retiring after that one Test match with five Test matches to go. Absolutely no chance. No chance whatsoever. He was just making a statement. He did it brilliantly. He's gone back into the side, and you know he's been he's been the pick of England's bowlers. And when you think he's up against Anderson, Wokes, Archer, you know to come out on top in, in inside that quartet is is, is some doing. Yeah. Um, how long he's going to play for? Well, I hope we see him for at least two or three more years. Uh, what he's doing now, and what he did in the winter, and what he did last year, is certainly giving himself a great chance of playing next summer, and obviously in the Ashes series in a year and a half time. Mm. Andy, you're gripping your microphone. Well, his previous best uh, average in an English summer was 22. He's been very consistent in the home test, but never had quite such a spectacular summer as this one. Going back to the start of the New Zealand series that followed the uh, uh, Ashes in 2017-18, um, he's taken 114 wickets at an average of shade under 22. But it's worth looking back, actually, he didn't start the series uh, against West Indies that well. It took him until his 20th over to take his first wicket. And it was a spell with the... Just before they had, the new ball became available, Stokes and, and Broad bowled some, uh, a series of short balls. Um, Shamar Brooks was batting very well for West Indies. And that, I think Broad said afterwards, it helped him find his, his rhythm a bit. So, it, uh, yeah, he had none for uh, 59 before he took the new ball and then took three wickets uh, in that spell that uh, broke the game open uh, uh, for England when West Indies were looking like they might uh, bat themselves towards safety. Stephanie, you got any thoughts on, um, on Stuart Broad? The interesting thing about that first test match of the summer was who the captain was and that it was Ben Stokes. He knew he was doing it for one game. Hmm. And we know that it was Stokes who broke the news to Broad um, that he had to have that difficult conversation with him. And I just wonder if as, as, as a one-off, you know, as Ben Stokes knew as captain, it was much easier to make that decision rather than when Joe Root comes back and he's thinking, well, actually, I'm the long-term captain here. I don't want to be losing test matches. I don't want to be losing series. It's much easier for the, the mm. skipper who, who played, who had the, the one opportunity to do it, to make that decision. I didn't have a problem at the time with England only wanting to play one of Broad or Anderson. I just think they played the wrong one. And that they went back to... We all know how good James Anderson is and his record speaks for himself and he's about to take his 600th test wicket. But... In the previous year, it was Jimmy Anderson who barely played mm. because of injury, mm. and it was Stuart Broad who had um, the second most test wickets behind only Pat Cummins. And then after that, after England had lost that test, and as Michael rightly says, it was actually due to their batting and their catching, not the bowling, that they lost that match. They've sort of gone back to what they know, probably quite rightly because of the conditions. But when you look at Broad, it's a real story of the summer because of not just this, it wasn't just a man getting left out and then coming back and doing well. It was a man 
who got left out, who spoke his mind, mm. who put himself under pressure, yeah. who then performed. And now you're looking at the, the new Stuart Broad, if you will, the shorter run-up, the fuller length, the high pace. And you're thinking, well, next winter, or rather in 18 months' time, if you're arriving in Brisbane and you want archer and wood firing, well, who's the other bowler? And you're thinking, well, actually, it probably is Stuart Broad, who, with that fuller length, with that extra pace, they look more suited to Australian conditions than what Stuart Broad has maybe been in the past. Well, I think that's true. And it, 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 he hasn't bowled many flat spells, has he? I mean, sometimes in the past he could run in his, and the knees weren't up and he, and, and he could look... Military medium's doing it harsh, but, I mean, he just you know, looked like he was holding himself back a bit. But I don't, I don't think we've seen a single spell like that this summer. No, he, he, he has charged. And I, hmm. I also think... And I, you know, especially for the bath bowlers, that this little bit of an extra break-off has maybe freshened up the body. So it's allowed them to charge in. Anderson's speeds have been up as well. But you're right, look, he, you've got to give him credit. He is charging every single um, phase. I think there is actually, and I think because of the, con- the conversation around having the two quicks and stuff like that, I think if you're Jimmy and Anderson, uh, Broad and Anderson, you want to make sure your pace stays mm. up as well because I think you don't want to be on the side of low 80s and then it looks... Like there's six or seven miles an hour between the two, so I think it's the it's competition. Isn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. England have got competition, and, and they all know that if you have, I mean, I have to look at Joe Farage. He had a, an off first Test match. He got a few wickets, but England they'll deny that this is the case. But for me, it's quite obvious that mm. they weren't quite happy with the way that he bowled in the first Test, and they said, right, you're not playing in the second Test. He's come back here. He's bowled. Mm. Uh, he hasn't got wickets, but for me, he's, he's looked like the ball that England need in a four-man seam attack, a bit quicker, uh, a bit different. Um, and I think that's kind of hanging over the heads of all the players now, that uh, mm. there are competition for mm. places in all positions. And if you have a couple of bad games, a real couple of really bad games, there's a chance that you might lose your place in the side, yeah. so it just keeps you on your toes. And if you are knocking on a bit and you do lose a bit, and your pace is, is low... <laughs> And it's two and two equals four. Isn't it? Oh, he's, he's old. He's over the hill. And he's <laughs> down. You soon get written off. Yeah. Well, what, what, once uh, age is against you, it's uh, yeah. it's only a matter of time, isn't yeah. it? So, okay. Well, that deals with our thoughts about um, about Stuart Broad being on this this list of six players um, who we've shortlisted to be England's Test player of the summer. Where should we go next? How about? Uh, Zach Crawley. Mm-hmm. Let's go, Zach Crawley, shall we? So, um, figures-wise, then, and let's leave that with you. Uh, four tests, 417 runs. See the vast majority of them in that mm. majestic 267 in, in this game, which was a. Which Michael will talk about the, the quality of that innings in terms of the match situation and the range of strokes and the. the different manner in which he batted in various different phases but he played a couple of other very good innings of fine innings of 76 in the the first test of the summer on this ground against West Indies in England's second innings that got England into a position where they were getting on top and then he was out in the tail collapse and England ended up losing he made a good 53 and a, 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 a game which didn't have any sort of pressure in the terms of the match situation but the conditions were difficult in the final day of the the, 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 the rain affected game here against uh, against Pakistan so he's had he's had three significantly good innings and one you know momentous uh, achievement uh, one of the, uh, the, the second highest score by an England player under the age of 25 and he's only 22 it was uh, so he's he's I would say probably the biggest plus for England this mm. summer in terms mm. of learning new things about players. And that, that 53, I guess it wasn't a totally dead scenario, but it, it did him some good. It was said at the time, you know, someone's going to get something out of this. And he had a good look at 
Pakistan's bowlers. He got himself moving so much better than just having a, a net session. And it's no coincidence, I think, they came out and scored, got a big one later. Yeah, and also I reckon that the 53 was um, in more difficult circumstances with the ball doing uh, plenty yes. in some of those deliveries that Abbas was bowling. And then when he came out a few days later and took guard and he got that half following his leg stump, put it away to the boundary and then he hit another drive down the ground he probably thought wait a minute I faced these bowlers just the other day and it was doing a lot more than it is today and I heard him say in his interview when he got to 25 he knew and you do know as a batsman you know you, you get the sense on certain days on, on certain pitches against certain attacks that it's your day but you've got to capitalise and make sure that you don't make any mistakes you, you stay inside your bubble um, and what Zach Crawley has got he's got a game that looks to me that's going to be very difficult to keep him quiet so when he gets into that kind of groove and that kind of form on a day that suits him, very, very difficult as a captain to keep him quiet because he's got the drive straight down the ground, so you have to cover that. He's got that punch off the back foot through the covers. You've got to cover that mm. if you can. He plays the defensive strokes very late. He lets it run it off the face of the bat, so you have to cover the kind of cordon and third man. So that's all the offside covered. He's got the, the balance to play on the onside. And he's got the pull shot if you drop slightly short. And again, spin, he's active. Yeah. You know, he dances down, he can go over the top. He's got the reverse sweep, the hard sweep, the lap slog. Um, you know, he, 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 I agree with Andy. He is England's find of the summer. Yeah. Um, because for England to be very successful uh, against the better teams, they've got to get big runs. You know, not the 300s and the 250s that has been... You know, pretty much the, the DNA of the Test match team for a while. For England to be that team that they were back in 2011, you know, when Strauss, Cook, Trot, Bell, Peterson, Collingwood, uh, Pryor, they got big, big runs. And mm. that's exactly what this Test team are trying to get to that position of in the first innings, if they get in conditions that are suited to batting, have they got the mindset and, and the skill levels to get the big, big scores? And I think in Zach Crawley, we can see a player that should be able to transfer his game to Australia, to India, because he plays spin so well. Uh, and obviously in English conditions he's already proved that if he can just stay in the here and now uh, he should be able to get uh, a lot of test match runs here so It's such a simple technique too isn't it Ebb? Yeah. I mean you talk about trigger movements and all these things but he's, he's, he really is almost almost stationary he's got a little little twitch but, but it looks like the sort of technique that shouldn't go wrong well, that, that's what one of the things that stood out for me is, you know, we talk about someone like Rory Burns who's come out and he's scored runs and he's deserved his place. But early on, we could see there might have been technical flaws. Mm. And, you know, you see that front foot and it's got, in, got him in a little bit of trouble this summer. Whereas Zach Crawley, you look at and you think, well, that rounded game that Vaughan just talks about, you know, he's playing with freedom, but there's nothing that's really going to get in the way that he may have to correct. He's 22 and he's got such a good foundation that there's, there's, there's not going to be a huge amount. All he'll have to work on is game plan and mindset, fitness, those sort of things. But the, the technique is so rounded. The other thing I really like about him is he seems to have this free mind. There was one bit where Yassir Shah came around the wicket to him. And the first ball, he was comfortable. I knew it right straight away, reverse sweep. That a couple of balls later, reverse sweep. To me, that, he, that means he's thinking clearly about exactly what he wants to do at what stage of the game. Again, there was another phase where Yassir Shah came on and straight away he ran down the wicket and hit him twice back over his head. And, you know, for a young player to just go, right, bowler on, this is the game scenario, this is what I want to do, and execute it, you know, that's a real, real skill and it's also a free-thinking mind. He's maybe so young now that he, you know, he hasn't been plagued by all the thoughts that sometimes get in your mind and mm. as a batter later on. And then the fact that he's now given himself the confidence, I think once you get that 100 or that big one and then to go on that big, there'll be nothing in his mind now that says, I can't go on and dominate for another 10 years. He's also, easily. I guess, he's got the game. I mean, 
you look at like someone like Rory Burns, Dom Sibley, who uh, you know different styles of players, but you always feel for them if they get low scores, getting to 20 is going to take a long time because of the way that they play. Mm. Whereas for someone like Zach Crowley, with the way that he plays, if he has a couple of low scores, I think he'll always get to 20 quite quickly. So he'll almost like put away those two low scores very quickly. Um, his, his problem will be that he's got too many options. You know, he, he's pretty much got everything covered. And, and, and at this level, it's about can you bring out the right options for the given day against the given bowlers in the given conditions? Yeah. And if he can work that out quickly with everything that he's got and not just think he can only play that way on every single time that he goes out to play a test match innings, uh, he should have a long and uh, prosperous mm. test match career. What I like as well is that there'll be analysts in all the other test playing nations who'll be have looked at that innings and they'll be reporting back to their mm. team and say, right, so Zach Crawley's weaknesses, but, you know, what are they? Um, <laughs> I don't think he's got any. You know, you can't see him being vulnerable to the short ball, for instance. He plays it well, he either gets out of the way or does. He, he can play yeah. a hook shot. Um, it's sort of the obvious areas that you can see people might exploit. Mm. I guess, the, I, I guess the one there, I mean, this was a, a slow pitch, and, and when you don't have a trigger movement and you just press, you know, when you're facing uh, seam bowlers bowling 84 miles an hour on a slow wicket, you generally get away with it. I think if you're facing a, a Cummins and a Hazelwood and a Stark on a Brisbane pitch with a bit more bounce and zip, you know, I haven't seen many that have just stayed still. Um, but I, I, I think of someone like Matthew Hayden, actually. I know he's a left-hander, Agates, but Matthew Hayden... Um, has a very similar stance to Zach Crawley. That they're big, tall chaps with mm. wide base, so they get their feet quite far apart. Uh, they they have the bat in between their legs, you know, very similar to, to Matthew Hayden. And Hayden didn't trigger. Hayden was kind of a brute and just stands there and goes, "Come on, what you got for me?" And I'm not saying Zach's the same kind of mentality as Matthew Hayden, but tall chaps like Zach Crawley, Hayden can get away with not a huge amount of triggering. Um, but in Australia, against the bouncing ball. I haven't seen many have a huge amount of success as an, as an opponent. So I've seen Hayden. Mm. Um, you look at all the, all the players that have had a lot of success in Australia, generally they're bouncing around and have a bit of a trigger movement. So uh, it can work and obviously you, you can do things differently. But I will be interested to see how that lack of trigger goes against quicker bouncing balls in Australia. Before this test match, you'd have almost had Crawley, Sibley and Burns together as three players that had had decent summers and were ending in credit but we hadn't necessarily learnt more about them than we knew at the start of the summer. After this test match you would say that Zach Crawley is much closer to being a permanent piece of that puzzle in mm. place than what he was before the start of this game. The interesting thing about him is he was, he was a pick on potential really. He came into the England side over the winter with a first class average of 30 but what they really liked about him was his work ethic and how quickly he learnt. And what we also knew about him as a teenager, he'd taken himself off to India to learn how to play spin. He'd had winters in Australia. I think he's had two winters playing club cricket in Australia. And they are England's next two winter tours. They've got trips to the subcontinent and then, and then the Ashes tour. One thing that we're already seeing, you know, various people on Twitter saying, you know, when Ben Stokes is coming back into the team, we've got to make space for him. So let's leave out an opener and push Zach Crawley up to open. I would be against that straight away. It seems to be a thing that we've developed in English cricket recently that as soon as someone does one job well, we want them to do a different job. But his record, he's got a better record in, in first-class cricket. He prefers opening the batting, Zach Crawley. Mm. That's where he, if you ask Zach Crawley, where do you want to bat? He says, I want to go in first. So he prefers going in first. And I, I completely hear what you're saying, but it's not out of the realms this winter. 
that Ben Folks comes into the side to keep stood up in subcontinent conditions. He's had that 100 in Sri Lanka, so he plays spin nicely. I think one of the concerns of Ben Folks from the England selector's point of view is the way that he paces the bouncing ball, but he's very, very good against spin. Keaton Jennings is a, a player that they like against spin. Short leg, plays the spin nicely as well as a left-hander. Could you see this winter a Keaton Jennings at Crawley opening partnership with Joe Root at three, Ben Stokes at four, Ollie Pope at five, Butler at six and Folks at seven? The could win- you see that? Yes, you could see it. Yeah. Well, the winter's interesting though, isn't it? Because you look at the way that Burns and Sibley play and you think there are problems for them mm. in the subcontinent. And the last time England were in this position, in this cycle, the year before an Ashes um, tour, they went to Bangladesh and they went to India and things got ripped apart very quickly. Mm. Um, if you remember, in that winter, they had Ben Duckett in the side, Asipa Mead in the side, mm. Jennings, who made 100 on debut. Not one of them made it to Brisbane. But my point, uh, Steph, is that England this summer have basically picked for the here and now. So they've picked their bowling attack for these conditions, for the here and now, and it's worked. They haven't had a great eye on the winter, now, if you get to the winter, they're going to have the same kind of philosophy where we need to pick for the here and now. And if you're picking for the here and now in the winter in subcontinent conditions, you probably would say Keaton Jennings comes yeah. in. You probably would move Zach Crawley up and you would probably would bring Ben Folks into the side. But as you say, that is ripping up the following winter, which is Australia, where you probably want a, a Burns-Sibley kind of combination. England must learn from that lesson of last time, though. Mm. And, 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 OK, Alistair Cook obviously threw in the towel as well into that, which, which kind of didn't help, I suppose. But they mustn't be influenced, I don't think, negatively by, by what happens this winter. It's absolutely right, because if they think that Burns and Sibley are the men that, that can do the job for them, both at home next summer and in Australia the following winter, do not, if they have problems in, in the subcontinent, do not let that affect the decisions that they make further down the line. It's why watching this England team over the next 12 months is going to be absolutely fascinating. How about we go then to the third player on the list? We'll go Joss Butler. So, stats-wise, uh, Andy, and I, I suspect your stats will probably just include runs, but will they, will they include, because this is the important bit in a way, will they include missed opportunities um, as can, well? I can look that up uh, mm. for you. There have uh, certainly been several of those, but he's been very, very consistent with the bat, even before the, the major innings he had in this game, in total 416 runs, a century and two other uh, half-century scores. He also had um, 35, 40 and 38. So he's been consistently productive. He had, he had a duck when he was pushed up to open the inning. So that's you know, dropped his average down uh, a bit in a slightly mis- misleading way. So he's, been, uh, he's had a very good sum with the bat. He had a very good summer two years ago when he was England's top run scorer in the 2018 summer in which he was recalled, but had a, a poor summer last year in Test cricket and a poor winter as well. So much needed runs um, for Butler. And that partnership with Wokes, and we'll talk about Wokes uh, later, in terms of the, you know, the the match situation and the way they turned a game England were losing into into one of England's uh, finest uh, victories in, in recent years, one of the um, greatest partnerships, uh, arguably, in England's, uh, England's test history. It seems unfair to have that naught in there, actually, because he was sent out to go and slog. Mm. <laughs> so yes. a, th- a third ball naught. Uh, it does seem a bit harsh. But, uh, but anyway, because that only is half the story, isn't it? And that, and that people, well, he, he, he missed opportunities and he, and, he, and he missed quite a number. And that, again, coupled with, with the background of the batting particularly, although he has played very well this year, was what people were talking a lot about. And again, in a way, it's rather like Stuart Broad's situation where Joss Butler gave a very honest 
interview, then they said, this simply is not good enough. I've got to do better than that. Otherwise, I'm not going to be keeping wicket anymore. You know, he, he, he put himself out there as well, which I thought was very honest of him. And he's, and he's responded. OK, he's dropped another one today, <laughs> uh, I'm afraid. And I don't know quite how he did drop that one. It's that's, a, that's a reminder to him, though, because yesterday he was great and everything... From his concentration to his movement, technically, was fantastic yesterday. Mm. And, and today was just a little bit of a reminder he has to be on it all the time. He's not a natural uh, Jack Russell-style keeper mm. that just can shut his eyes and the ball just kind of melts into his gloves. He has to concentrate. And it's going to be draining for him because it's so hard to do that ball after ball. But that was just a... Cricket has that, that, that kind of... Uh, it has that moment, doesn't it, when you think you've got it. Mm. And it just knocks you down a peg or two. And yesterday Definitely. we all felt he had it. And then this morning, it's just a reminder to him that... He's not the kind of keeper that can just rock up and just kind of grab the ball at every opportunity. He has to focus and concentrate all the time. Do we have to link him? Do, do the two have to be linked, his wicketkeeping and his batting, when we discuss his, his, his summer and his future and, and everything else in this way that we're doing here? Or, or, or can, you, can, can you separate it? Well, it looked yesterday that obviously his 150 had helped his keeping, uh, but I think he's done a lot of work with Bruce French just to iron out his foot movement and his technique slightly. Uh, But again today, it was just a a, a very obvious um, thing for me to watch and see that he didn't even get a glove on it, and that's just concentration. And you analyse, because you have to on television, they analyse the wobble ball, but there's not one keeper in probably club cricket around the, the country that... You know, wouldn't expect to take that opportunity, yeah. and that's just concentration. So there's uh, one thing for him to work on. Um, being a, a player that plays in all three formats, you know, Test, T20, and 50 over, it's hard. It is hard work to concentrate every single ball over across three formats year after year, and being involved in the IPL doing exactly the same. So he's got to work out a mechanism in his mind and his in his kind of uh, mentality to make sure that he can just switch on for that ball yeah. at every opportunity. Can you, Steph, see uh, an England side without Joss Buckler in it? Not at the moment. No. Um, I think if he was going to play as a batsman alone, then we need to see much more like the Joss Butler that we have seen in the past couple of test matches. Because I think, Andy, what is his, his career batting averages? I think it's in the low 30s, which isn't enough to justify a place as a batsman alone. And so, to me, if he's going to have that record as a batsman then he has to be able to do two jobs which means that the keeping mistakes have to be eradicated and at Old Trafford when he did miss Sean Massoud twice England got away with it partly because of the innings that Joss Butler played but he's not they're not always going to be able to do that and when we've spoken about it a lot he won't get away with it when that is Virat Kohli or Steve Smith I I, I hear what Vaughan is saying about um the plan for the winter when you could move Zach Crawley up to open and Joss Butler could just play as a batsman because he has got a very good record in the subcontinent Mm. as a batsman and Ben Folkes could play when you've got to have someone standing up to the stumps all day but longer term is that an option I'm not sure because the other thing that we haven't discussed in all that is that would mean that Joe Root has got to bat at number three which we know he Mm. does not want to do so at the moment, I like the formation of this England team, even if at the moment it's not quite what they would like it to be because Ben Stokes isn't in the side who, who does provide that extra bit of balance and then you, know, you lose a bowler and it, it does look slightly better. I think as soon as you are playing Butler as a batsman, Folks as a wicketkeeper, Root at three, then we're going back to 
two years ago when it didn't look quite balanced and we were playing, England were playing lots of all-rounders and people were picked to do a bit of this and a bit of that rather than the thing that they should be specialising in. Yeah, it's interesting. A little theory, Ebony, you do what you like with it, but I felt at Old Trafford at the start of that heroic innings that mm. won the game, I thought Pakistan were intimidated by Butler. I mean, immediately, when he walked out to bat... A couple of close fielders went back, and they, they were they were put out. And I just wonder if that is something that maybe subcontinental teams feel because they see so much of him playing in the IPL mm. and smashing the ball all over the place. Whether whether they are a little bit intimidated by him? Yeah, potentially. I, I think one thing that was quite clear about that innings is the clarity of thought for Butler. It came into his natural zone. You know, we talk about whether he's a natural keeper or whether he's a natural Test player. I think that innings. So he walked straight out and straight away tried to dominate used you know reverse sweeps used his feet just threw it straight back to the Pakistan um, team and then all of a sudden they're scuffling to try and organize themselves and their game plans and when he played in that that format I remember thinking look great innings but does he have the adaptability and what was really interesting for me is how he came out and faced 300 balls for his 100 in this game so that kind of just showed that he you know he know he's he's able to adapt and he's got that in it it's just whether he can constantly back it up but what he did show in that Old Trafford innings is just you give him something which fits his natural style come out dominate He, the other thing that we forget to talk about does he have a long enough tail behind him um, and I think that is actually it helps if he knows that he's got a proper batter at the other end him and Zach Crawley in that innings he can have a little bit more time at the crease he can you know, execute his plans whereas sometimes we've seen him in other innings where you realise he is scrabbing a little bit because he's got to deal with the, the tail. But for now, he's in your side. I think he's definitely in your side. The keeping uh, is hit or miss, and I think someone like Folks would be sat in that changing room right now thinking, any danger, you know, some of those old, old snaffle up. And then you see the Superman take he took yesterday. So mm. he's one of those players, and he's got, um, got a bit of everything. I think what I've got to understand with Joss Bull, I mean, I keep... You know, Adam Gilchrist mentioned, you know, he's that kind of player that can take the game away. From, he's not an Adam Gilchrist player in confidence. Josh Buller has a lot of self-doubt. Mm. You know, when you think about some of the innings that he's played, you wouldn't believe that, but he does. You know, he's just a human being that ultimately doesn't wake up every morning believing in himself all the time, and that's natural. That's, that's not everyone that's made like Adam Gilchrist, you know, and, and believes that they can do wonderful things on every single given day. He, he is a, a sensitive soul. You know, that needs a little bit of loving. And I think the England management over the last few weeks in particular deserve a huge amount of credit because, you know, I, I know that a lot of the players have struggled, but particularly Josh, being away from his young daughter and his wife, he, he struggled in this environment. So for the England management to get him playing with clarity with the bat in hand under a huge amount of pressure, uh, I think those around, and I know that the likes of Mark Sachs will be in the team, are doing a wonderful job with many of the players, but... It's just a reminder that just because he can smack the ball pretty much wherever he wants, 360 degree, it doesn't mean that he's mm. ultimately a really confident person. Yeah, it's got a good um, point. Yeah. Can, yeah, I, I can think you become that Gilchrist, or is that just a I natural thing? I don't think thing? you can. I think natural... you, you bought, you, you could, obviously you can get better. Yeah, obviously, uh, your game, but I think 
mindset wise can you become My, that yeah, yeah i think you can i think you can improve but ultimately you, you generally always go back to your your default, your default. <laughs> you know when you have a game or two that does, doesn't go and you can't have a great game all the time i do think you have this default position that your mind goes to when mm. you're in difficult times so i think he deserves a huge amount of credit for for, for way the way that he's coped and also the management for the way that they've got him playing the way that they have this summer uh, just, just on on the point of joss butler and self-doubt he admitted as much in his press conference a couple of nights ago and he was talking about how um, I think even midway through the first test he was worried about being dropped and he had to really dig deep into his mental reserves to find the belief to keep going and when he reached a century here a couple of days ago you could see how much it meant to the England balcony they were all out there were such massive celebrations but talking about that fear factor and the way that Pakistan retreated at Old Trafford it's really interesting because we want Joss Butler or we almost expect Joss Butler to be this player that we see in white ball cricket who could either you know, really hammer home England's advantage at number seven if they've batted well or could come in and counter-attack when they're under the cosh. But he's never really done that in Test cricket. That is not the way he has played in Test mm, match cricket. Mm. And Pakistan at Old Trafford, they sat back despite not really having any evidence that Joss Butler had ever taken, really taken an attack apart in Test matches. And in his press conference, he got asked about, do you think you've benefited from this summer only having to concentrate on test matches? Normally, he's pulled in, in three different directions, IPL, no first-class cricket, straight into a test match. And he said, you know what, I don't think so. Mm. I still think that test match cricket is the third, um, my third strength when compared to the others. And I'm still carrying some white balls around in my kit bag and I can't wait to hit them. Yeah, I think, you know... It- it's, it's interesting all this stuff about Joss Butler and, and also it's very interesting that he, he has been in dressing rooms where the, these opponents will know exactly what he's about so they will know you know, from the IPL from the Pakistan Super League uh, from a little bit of a stint or two elsewhere you know, they, they'll know these players that he is a bit vulnerable so that's why you go back to Old Trafford and it's staggering in, in this era with so much information not only on stats information uh, where the players score but also on the mindset of the player that those Pakistan players didn't realise that Joss Butler is a, a vulnerable yeah. soul. They and took why the pressure off him and why didn't, the they, yeah. why yeah. didn't they squeeze him a yeah. little bit tighter and say to him, go on, you've got to play the big shots so here. I think, I think they're intimidated. But uh, Anyway, OK, well, we're halfway through our, our, our line-up here of uh, England players of the summer. Where do we go next? How about Chris Wokes? Because he's had a terrific summer. Ironically, perhaps that's not the best game here. But he, he's just had, I guess, the, the summer of his, his life, really, and isn't he? Uh, he's been uh, very, very good. Um, well, he's been affected with with the bat, particularly in that innings in uh, uh, at Old Trafford in the, in the first Test and uh, stat from from that game in fourth innings chases his uh, 84 not out and Butler's 75 were the uh, second and third highest scores by an England player at six or lower in a successful fourth innings chase behind Gilbert Jessop's mm. um, momentous 100 at the Oval in 1902. Um, with the ball, he's um, not been quite so effective uh, in the last couple of games uh, here, but uh, overall um, 17 wickets at an average of uh, fractionally over 20. So he's had a, he's had a, a very good summer all round. Yeah. And he's just so admirable, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> Mr. Nice Guy. Do, do you think? Do you think his status in the team and the way that he's used has risen as a result of this summer, or not? I mean, I'm still thinking of times when he might have taken a new ball, for instance. He bowled a couple of overs, but now he's off, and because Chris hasn't taken a new ball, so we'll give it back to whoever it might be. I just wonder if if he is such a I don't know. He's 
utility. That's, that's not right. I'm trying to think of the right word, but he's just. Does, he's does, is, is there a sort of a bit of a ceiling there as far <laughs> as his, his, his position in the team is concerned? Well, in English conditions, you could argue he should be the number one pick. Yes. You know, with his numbers of his career in Test match cricket here with the bat and the ball, with the Duke ball in English conditions, you could argue there. Yeah. <laughs> it's Chris Wokes and then who else? But I guess there's always going to be behind Broad and Anderson, isn't there? Yeah, but there's, there's going to come a stage where he's going to have to be that, that, that senior bowler, and I think yeah. it'll come quite soon. Um, you know, he's such a great guy. I think he's you know, probably the nicest English well, cricketer that we've, we've seen yeah. for many, many years. How much years. does that personality come into selection, though? So what I mean by that is Stuart Broad would be in your ear, right? If you're not picked, Absolutely, he's in your, yeah. your ear. Chris Wokes, you know, he conti- continuously in home conditions delivers, but I just can't imagine him being in the coach and the captain's ear, mate, I'm in next. You know, and so therefore, when well, you're thinking, why. you're selecting, is that... Yeah. That's, that's maybe not aiding his game. That's why you've got to be very good as selectors to understand people. Mm. And, you know, the captain and the, the coach, I'm sure they understand all the personalities in the team and they know that Stuart Broad will speak out. That's great. Mm. I'd love that in a, in a team. But as a, when you're selecting, is there that added pressure of the player's going to kick off? Everyone knows well, that. Well, what Jimmy you shouldn't think, I know what you, you're trying you, to say that he's easier to drop, isn't he? And easier yeah, not to just, bowl well, just, and easier yeah, to be like left out. Uh, if you're weighing it up and, you know. And you know you got one that's, or two that will be in your ear. Mm. Everyone was panicking about who you're going to drop on the first yeah. game. It's like Sam Curran. Sam Curran's becoming yeah. easy to drop. He played in the second test, didn't do much wrong. He misses out in the third test, gets sent back to play for Surrey. Um, I don't know. I hope not. I hope England now realise that in, in home conditions, Chris Wokes is right up there with the best. Mm. Overseas is his issue. You know mm. he does have an issue overseas. He's having. Um, very little success with the, the Duke ball or the differing balls around the world that they use. Is that the um, length? Is that the length that he bowls, I, I think? Just, uh, maybe. Or the maybe, pace? Maybe. maybe uh, I think it's a bit of everything. Hmm. Maybe it's uh, that he's not quite got the skills of a Jimmy Anderson yet. Uh, if I was Wokesy, and I'm sure he is doing, you're trying to sit with Jimmy as much as you can to try and uh, get a few of those skills so he, he can have more success overseas. His batting's been a, a different you know, different proposition away from home as well, which is surprising because, you know, I think, you know, particularly in Australia, they're just going to bounce him. You know, he won't be getting those glorious drives through the covers. He's no. going to get bombed like, like most players are yep. uh, in Australia. Um, but in English conditions, he, he's a gem, you know, because as a captain, you pretty much know what you're getting from him. You know, he just knows how to bowl with this Duke ball. It's just, can he, can he get more skillful, more consistent? Can he bowl a bit fuller? Um, get a yard or two of pace. I'm not too sure if he can at his, this stage of his career, but you know if he can. Well, he's already a, added a, a yard to his yeah, pace can he from go when again? he first arrived, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, probably not. So that's going to be his challenge overseas. But in English conditions, he's uh, he's tremendous. He's also very, very highly regarded by his teammates. He's mm. a very, very popular member of that dressing room. And in, and in another era, when we didn't, when maybe there wouldn't have been James Anderson, Stuart Broad. Ben Stokes, Chris Wokes would be one of the absolute superstars of this England team. If you think mm. about all that he's achieved, World Cup winner, century mm. at Lords, he's got a ridiculous record with the ball yes. at Lords. Match winner at Old Trafford a couple of weeks ago. When we talk about Wokes abroad, it was too small a sample size, but we did just see in South Africa he was starting to have a little bit more mm. success towards the end of that series. And when we were talking about the first test match of this summer, when Broad was left out, it wasn't just Broad, it was Wokes and Sam Curran, and they both played, um, all three of them had played in South Africa when England yep. had, had won that series. And we're right in saying, you know, it's easy to leave out Sam Curran because he's the young lad, and Chris Wokes won't be coming on TV and firing into the selectors for being 
being left out because he's not that sort of character. But we're, we're going to talk about James Anderson at some point as well. And, and when Michael's talking about, you know, are England going to go into a winter where they may have um, a horses for courses batting lineup, are they going to be strong enough at some point um, in the future that even if these guys have been producing the goods at home, can they, um, the seam bowlers this is in particular, can they then switch tack to make sure that they are partic- choosing the right attack for whichever conditions they encounter away from home? So uh, let's go to Ben Stokes. I just, I've just got one bit of information coming from Andy because Steph's right about Chris Wokes. He's kind of this cricketer that's got incredible kind of history of performance in English conditions. And I've just asked uh, Andy to look at Chris Wokes's figures here in the UK compared to someone like Andrew Flintoff, hmm. you know, it's a, a wonderful all-rounder for England. Got um, attention all the way around the world with his performances for a few years back in around 2003, four, five, six. Uh, Andy, what, what's, what is the, the numbers? Well, Wokes at home averages 35 with the bat and 22 with the ball uh, over his whole career. Away, 19 with the bat and 51 with the ball. So there's a, a, a huge uh, difference. Uh, looking at Andrew Flintoff, at home averaged 35 with the bat, 36 with the ball. Away, 28 with the bat, 29 with the ball. But Flintoff had a, a prolonged start to his career. Where he was almost learning to bowl in test mm. cricket. He hadn't bowled very much in first-class cricket. If you look at sort of Flintoff from the 2003-04 uh, winter uh, for the rest of his career, averaged 41 at home with the bat, 28 with the ball. But averaged 28 with the ball overseas as well, and, and mm. 30 with the bat. So he was uh, um, supremely effective in, in all conditions during his uh, peak years. Mm. Ben Stokes, of course, isn't here at the moment, and we wish him and his family well. He's gone off to uh, Christchurch to see his mum and dad, so I hope all was well with, with him. Um, his summer, though, before he, he cut it short, uh, Andy? Um, he, uh, just finding, finding the stats here, 372 runs at an average of 62, that big 176 against uh, West Indies, also had 78 not out rapidly in the second innings of that game to set up a declaration. A couple of 40s in the first test of the summer, uh, here, both innings in which he was you know, playing quite quite carefully, and then got out when it looked like he was going to uh, turn the game uh, to England. But his uh, his bowling, um, six wickets in the opening test of the summer, um, uh, three in the second test uh, uh, at Old Trafford against West Indies, and uh, and a couple of key wickets um, late on uh, in the day on uh, in the, the first test against Pakistan. So he's ended up with 11 wickets at an average of 14. Only bowled 56 overs. England have had to try to manage his workload. It's been an increasing feature of the way they've they've used Stokes and the difficulty of stopping himself bowling himself into the ground as, as Flintoff uh, also did at uh, times in, in, in his career so yeah. uh, um, he's uh, been uh, phenomenal with the bat and uh, effective in uh, crucial stages with the ball. And when he's not around <laughs> you, you, you see how much the team, the team miss him. The, the team selection isn't it you know you could see the, the nightmare they got well first of all one thing that I thought stood out was the game against Pakistan at Old Trafford where he was not meant to be bowling or he had was carrying that injury and there was still that moment England needed the breakthrough everyone's trying and in the end it was yes. look come on mate please just dig whatever you can out and he did he came out and delivered broke through with the the ball and you know to see these stats where not only are you averaging so low when you do take wickets you know 14 there when you when you got the bat in hand you can have the impact of an average over 62 and you know I think well done to Zach Crawley because if 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 with all these sort of maneuverings of do we go with one less 
batter and then Zach didn't come in and contribute and you know there's been all that sort of question I think you know it could have looked more exposing the good thing I would say now is England if they deliver with the bat you, you can just about miss Stokes but he's so hard to replace you know selecting a team without him and balancing that is is quite a hard job there was a time I think after the second test against the West Indies when we thought this was going to be another summer of Ben Stokes, not only did he make that huge hundred, he was bolt, he was running in round the wicket, pounding the ball mm. in can you remember that moment when he, there was no mid-off field and he chased the ball yes. all the way to the boundary <laughs> himself, it felt like it was Ben Stokes versus the West Indies um, and yesterday when it all went a bit flat, the ball was soft um, Azar Ali and Mohamed Rizwan were comfortable. It felt like a time when you wanted Ben Stokes doing the same again, round the wicket, banging it in, another 11-over spell to make something happen. Um, and he's also England's best batsman at the moment, isn't he? He's gone past Joe Root at the moment as the most consistent. Um, yeah, it's such a shame that he's, he's missed these last two test matches and you know, we really our thoughts go to him and his family. Yeah. I reckon the, actually the, the most promising sign for the test team is the fact that they've played well without anything from Ben Stokes mm. I, I think Steph's absolutely right in those first two test matches against the West Indies it was exactly a bit of deja vu from last summer that England can only win if Ben Stokes produces magic mm. now in the last three test matches he hasn't produced magic apart from that one spell in, in the first test when he got a couple of wickets he said give me the ball I'll make something happen but he's, uh, he, he wasn't contributing with the bat uh, and obviously wasn't bowling because of his injury yet England have found a way to win without those contributions and we've had a Chris Wokes performance at Old Trafford we, we've had Crawley here, we've had Joss Butler you know, Broad and Anderson always going to be a, a strong combination and I think that's very important for the tech, once you become reliant on one player for so much you know, that one player can't keep going into his well for another wonderful performance, so I think it's so important that England learn how to win with a, with a week where Ben doesn't produce the magic and over the last three test matches I think uh, that for me has been one of the most promising signs for the test team that they've played really well, particularly here this week Apart from the catching, I think it's been a flawless test match performance. Uh, catching is obviously very important, and that's a, a big, uh, big kind of push onto the naughty step for, for the players. But um, this week, I think they've looked like a high-class test match team. Andy, a quick... Well, just more, more on Stokes, similar, similar to Flintoff. Had a quite difficult start to a test career. After 20 tests, he averaged 27 with the bat and 40 with the ball. In the 47 tests he's played since then, he's averaged 42 with the bat and 27 with the ball. And in his last 16 tests, his batting average is uh, 56 with four centuries. So he has become a titan in this side. Well, to deal with, with Jimmy Anderson, the last one, quite swiftly, because I think we're going to lose two of you in a minute, we've got other appointments whatever that might be, so uh, Jimmy Anderson um, wickets wise, what, 14 uh, to 14 at uh, an average of 26.5 yeah. uh, so he's had uh, well until until this game it's a moderate summer by, by his standards he's obviously missed basically all of last summer's test cricket uh, through injury, his home record over the previous uh, three or four summers had basically been pretty much as good as anyone had ever been at home uh, in a, uh, over a prolonged period of time apart from Imran Khan for Pakistan in the early 1980s but uh, three for 60 uh, in the test uh, the rain affected test last week and then uh, five for yesterday so he's uh, hmm. picked up as the summer's gone on I think one of the main things about Jimmy Anderson is he's, he's played five tests mm. I mean that's you know, real worries about his fitness and, and whether or not you know, one injury might, might finish him. He's but, played five tests and good pace. Yeah. I would say it definitely looks like he's been a mile or so up as well. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be really honest about this. Um, 
Jimmy Anderson maybe coming to work with us in the T20s and the 50 over games against Australia. I, I, I don't have him as being a player of the summer. Mm. <laughs> I think we're trying to it's be a nice. A, a romantic oh, selection. Let's be honest, only a, a couple of games ago we were saying that you know, he had such a bad game. He hasn't had a great summer in, in, in terms of what Jimmy Anderson produces. He's been terrific here, but um, I think we might be looking after a colleague. He has got that. through it, though. It, yeah, it, great. Yeah, great. But you know, he's he's certainly not been the, the story of the summer. He, he's been the story of this week. Um, but he'll be the first to admit that he, he's not quite been on his game. I thought his summer. interview was the funny. You know, the one where he felt he had had a bad game, mm. and then to see him sort of call the press conference. You know, that, well, that was an interesting manoeuvre. I liked him. it. Did you? Well, yeah, I liked I it. But no one was saying anything. I don't think I heard any whisper. No one was saying he's out. He's, but he, he, he was like, right, everyone. Yeah, but I think Agus <laughs> said it straight away. Clever, because I think he had a sniff that he may have not played in the second test. Yep. Now, if Jimmy Anson, if, if he gives about... an interview on the Monday before the Thursday, saying I'm fine, I'm, I'm putting to bed these uh, retirement rooms. They've got to play him. But good this luck, is my good point. Good luck to knocking on his door, saying not playing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is my point to you about making sure you get in the team. Him and Broad, they have both then, if that's the case, played media blinders Great. to put the pressure on to yeah, get them back absolutely. in. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought they were very, very clever of Jimmy, I must say. <laughs> it's where England have got to be strong in the future, isn't it, when they make sure that they pick the right side for the right conditions. But sort of looking at that list of six players and Vaughan quite rightly saying that Anderson hasn't had the summer that we know he's capable of, you look at those six players and there's one name to me that's sort of notable by his absence and I think one player that England would have wanted to be in that six at the start of the summer and it's Joffre Archer. Mm. I think that when you're thinking about the future of this team, the evolution of it, England really probably wanted Joffre to step up and become the leader of the attack this summer and it just hasn't happened. It's, 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 I'd have pushed Dom Sibley into that list ahead of Jimmy Anderson. You know, I, I think Dom Sibley's proving to us that, um, you know, I, I put it in an article last week, I, I wouldn't be rushing to get there for 11 o'clock to watch Dom Sibley, <laughs> but I'd pay to watch him back because I, I like to see players play Test match cricket differently and he's a, the kind of player that knows his game, he's a bit different, you know, he plays for his off stump, he leaves and he waits for that straight one. But it looks to me like he wants to bat for a long period of time and that's exactly what you want from your opening batsman. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Well, you can vote for your England player of the Test Summer on the BBC Sport website and app. The vote will be available until 2pm on Tuesday with the result revealed on Today at the Test and on the website. You can catch up with the highlights of what play we've had on the BBC iPlayer and look out for the Tuffers and Vaughan podcast also on BBC Sounds. We're back on air at 10.15 on 5 Live Sports Extra with Radio 4 Longwave joining us at 10.45. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts.